Amen. Amen. I, I love that song, and one of the reasons I love it is because, because it's true. Um, Jesus, he's in the waiting. And so uh, I, I want to encourage you right now um, to say those words we just sang out loud, you know, by yourself or with the group you're with, and you just repeat after me, but really think about these words. I think this is what God would want us to do today. And so repeat after me. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. All right, some of you at home didn't do that. And so just really think about it. This is what God would say to you and what God wants you to say back to him, right? Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. Question, what are you waiting for right now? I, I know a lot of us are... We're waiting for things to, to get back to normal uh, when this thing ends and waiting when is this going to end and, and when are things going to get back to normal. And, and hopefully they'll get back to normal, but maybe a different kind of normal. Like, like maybe we'll begin to appreciate the things that we're missing right now. Like maybe when we walk into church and we see that person and we shake that hand and we look them in the eye, maybe it'll, it'll mean a, a little bit more. You know, and maybe when we sit out in that restaurant, you know, enjoying that good food, and we look around and we see all the people just enjoying a meal, the families together, we realize that we're part of this great and huge community of people created in God's image. And so I want to get back to normal, but a, a, a new normal where we begin to really appreciate what really matters, kind of like we talked about last week, you know, what really matters is loving God and, and loving the people that we have in their life. Um, today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday 2020, and so I, I want you to, if you're by yourself, look in the camera. If you're, if you're with people, um, look them in the eye and just say, happy triumphant day. Happy triumphant day. Happy triumphant day. All right. And this morning, I'm going to pack a, unpack a conversation called He's in the Waiting. And, and listen, waiting for something to happen that you really want can be really hard, right? It can be very difficult. But when that wait is finally over, we're pretty excited. We're pretty joyous about it. For example, just, just two months ago, and it seems longer than that. I don't know about you, but for me, my ability to track time isn't working so well. But believe it or not, two months ago, on February the 2nd, 2020, the Kansas City Chiefs played in the Super Bowl against the San Francisco Chargers, and they won that game 31 to 20, right? And Kansas City had been waiting for 50 years, right, for that win. I have some friends who are under the age of 50 and who are huge Kansas City fans and were extremely excited when Kansas City took home the trophy. Their coach, Andy Reid, had been a head coach for 20 years, had won over 200 games, but had never won the Super Bowl. And therefore, if he didn't win the Super Bowl, is he really that great of a coach? Andy Reid had been waiting for a long time to be able to hold up that trophy. And, and when they won that, I mean, the fans were excited. They had this massive parade, right? You know, going down the streets. You can just see it right there, this huge, massive parade. Here's some more excited people right here. Just really, uh, um, I got another image here. Uh, there were, there were over hundreds of thousands of people gathered 
to celebrate this victory. Kind of crazy. They seem rather excited right there. And, and, and I love the sign on this right here. I love the sign right here. You know, we've waited our whole lives for this moment. We've waited our whole lives for this moment. I, I understand Experience and triumph after years of waiting is a, is a good reason to be excited. And listen, on that first Palm Sunday, God's people, they've been waiting not just for 50 years, um, not just for their entire life for the, waiting for this moment, but they have been waiting for thousands of years. Which means that generation after generation after generation after generation entered this world waiting, and they left this world still waiting. You see, ever since Genesis, ever since the fall of man, and ever since the call of Abraham, God's people have been waiting for the coming of their king, the coming of their Messiah, the coming of their Savior. And listen, not only was the wait long, but the wait was rather difficult. Uh, there, were, there were many mountain highs and valley lows along the way. There, there were wars and famines and, and defeat and death and foreign occupation and political and religious corruption. Yes, God's people have been waiting for victory, waiting for their Messiah to lift up the Lombardi so they can join that parade for a very long time. And God the Father and God the Son have been waiting even longer. Uh, uh, they have been waiting since before creation to announce the arrival of Jesus, to announce that the true king had come, to announce that salvation and redemption was here, to announce that God could now restore the relationship he wanted with the people that he so loved. But understand, throughout it all, God was always with his people in the waiting, encouraging them, being with them, and reminding them that he was going to keep his promises, reminding them that one day the wait would be over. Now, for about 33 years, Jesus had purposely stayed out of the limelight. As much as you can, right? When you are opening blind eyes, when you're preaching good news to the poor, when you're healing lame limbs, when you're, when you're casting out demons, when you're raising people from the dead, or when you're taking a few loaves and a few fish and you're actually feeding over 5,000 people. Matter of fact, when Jesus did that, fed those 5,000, they wanted to make Jesus king. And scripture says that he kind of walked through them. Like, I don't know what happened if he got beamed up or whatever, but he just kind of disappeared and, and left them because it wasn't his time yet. But now the time had come, and now the tree was ripe, and Jesus was boldly announcing that he's indeed the king, not according to the plans of man, but according to the plan of God as revealed through his prophets. Now understand, Jesus was the Messiah predicted by the prophets, but not the Messiah expected by the people. You see, what they wanted was a, a, a warrior. What they wanted was a Messiah who would come and who would overthrow the Roman Empire and who would restore their former glory, which had been, has, had been faded since the days of Solomon 900 years earlier. And so on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, Jesus enters Jerusalem royally. He enters Jerusalem freely. He's not a victim. He's not a prisoner. He did not hide. Jesus did not hurry. Jesus did it his way, and he did it on his time schedule. And Jesus wasn't afraid. He, he, didn't sleep, he didn't slip secretly into the city, right? 
even though there was a price on his head and wanted posters all throughout the city, Jesus acted deliberately and with purpose as he rode into the city, making his claim to be both their king and their Messiah. And you know what? He, he, he knew that, Jesus knew that his enemies would be, he knew that his enemies would be watching him. And I think he wanted them to see him being treated like a king. I mean, as if he's saying, you know, I, I know that very soon you're going to arrest me. You're going to drag me before Pilate. You're, you're going to have me crucified. But I want you to see just one more time who I really am. And I want to give you one more chance to step out of your unbelief and join the parade of celebration. You, you see, the time had come for the great struggle to both begin and end. The struggle with sin, death, and the grave. The time had come for the mankind, for the world to to make the ultimate decision to either acknowledge her ruler or to renounce him. The time had come for Jesus to fight the great battle. The time had come for Jesus to finish the work that the Father had given him to do, the work of salvation, the work of redemption. The time had come for the king to claim his rightful throne and for his people to fill the streets with a parade of celebration. And here's kind of what I, I, I want to do. Uh, this morning, Palm Sunday 2020, it, it is, uh, I, I want to use some verses from every one of the Gospels that the Holy Spirit felt compelled to put on paper. And, and then from those passages, I, I, I want to pull out a few timeless truths that I think will be very helpful for us to look at today. First, let's talk about the triumphal entry. Um, here, here, here's a map you can see here. Uh, Bethany was, was about two miles from, from Jerusalem. Uh, Bethphage uh, sat on the crest of the Mount of Olives, and it was 260 feet above the temple, which sat about 300 feet below, just across from the Kidron Valley. And so the, the ride is going to start from Bethany, right, on Sunday morning, but I, I want to begin by looking at something that happened that Saturday night. It, it takes place in John chapter 12, verse 1. If you go ahead and turn there. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, uh, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. I did some research, and there was a tradition back then, if you were ever to raise somebody from the dead, that person was obligated to give you a dinner in your honor, and you got to choose what the meal was. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? I just make that up in case you didn't know back home, all right? Is that coffee good? It looks good. He goes on, Martha served. She had a hard time getting out of the kitchen. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And just you know, try to picture the scene, right? Now, these are guys had, who had, for three years, been traveling with Jesus. They've had ups and downs. They've had highs and lows, Right? And now they're just enjoying a meal, just a bunch of friends hanging out together, enjoying each other. And I'm sure there's some great conversations. You know, I, I know if I was near Lazarus, I'd have some questions for him. Like, what was it like to be dead? Right? You know, like, did you see anything? Were there like angels? Was there bright light at the end of the tunnel? You know, did you, did you, hear, did you hear Jesus shouting from outside of the tomb? Others were probably just having a conversation with Jesus, asking questions. And probably just other typical table talk. Hey, Pastor Gravy, and hey, Pete, how come you always take the 
the largest lamb chop. You know, just a bunch of friends hanging out, laughing, telling jokes together. Now, I, I did some extensive research this week. I, I do that a lot. <clears throat> and I actually discovered some of the most common jokes that were told in the first century. And I, I want to share some of those jokes with you this morning. All right? This is what Jesus and I were saying to each other. Uh, what do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. <laughs> what do you call a belt with a watch on it? A waste of time. Why did the big cat dis- get disqualified from the race? Because he was a cheetah. Why do crabs never give to charity? Because they're shellfish, all right? What do you call a man with no nose and no body? Nobody knows. <laughs> what did the little boy say? I mean, what did the buffalo say to his son when he dropped him off at school? Bye, son. <laughs> Some of you need to look that up. Why is Peter Pan always flying? Because he never lands. <laughs> Why did a coach go to the bank? Because he wanted to get his quarterback. <laughs> these are good. Come on. Jesus was telling these, all right? What did the fisherman say to the magician? Pick a cod, any cod. <laughs> what is faster, hot or cold? Hot, because you can catch a cold. What do you call it when Batman skips church? A Christian bail. <laughs> so good. He played Batman and things. Okay. And uh, what does a baby computer call his father? Dada. <laughs> Dada. All right. Hey, don't blame me. Blame Jesus, right? That's what they're telling back then. That's when dad jokes began, according to the extensive research I did, which was none at all. All right. So they're telling these jokes, having a good time. And then, you'll be all right. Some of you are going to post them and share them with your family. I know you are. He continues, right? This meal going on, a bunch of friends hanging out. And Mary took a, that will be Lazarus' sister. Mary took a, a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth the year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came out not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Now the losers show up. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? The lengths that people will go to just because they hate the truth, right? Let's kill the truth, let's deny the truth, let's get rid of the truth because we want to deal with the truth. Or as Jack Nicholson said in A Few Good Men, you can't handle the truth. All right, he continues, sorry. Uh, The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival 
heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. And now we'll jump over to Matthew's account. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 1. Remember, the Holy Spirit put these words down for a reason. As he approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and that would be Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And this is the prophecy. Say to daughter Zion, that would be Israel, God's people, see your king comes to you. And by the way, he wrote that about 700 years before it actually happened. Say to daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And listen, not only is Jesus here fulfilling prophecy and announcing that he's king, but he's also, he's kind of letting people know the, the nature of his kingdom. You see, normally when a king uh, rode into a, a, a city they're about to conquer, they would ride in on the horse, letting them know they're ready to make war. But whenever a king rode into a, a town or a city and wanted them to know that he came in peace, they would ride on a donkey. See, Jesus did not come to Jerusalem at that time to make war, but to make peace with his people. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowd went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. And see, the people recognized what was happening. They, they are quoting from a messianic psalm, Psalm 118. Uh, and the word Hosanna means, you guys know at home, share in your living rooms, right? Anybody know what Hosanna means? Okay, it means save us now. Save us now. Kind of like we sing songs and we don't know what the words mean. Like, for, like hallelujah, right? That means praise God, right? I, I, I didn't know that for a long time. I'm saying hallelujah. I didn't know what I was saying, right? It means praise God. Hosanna means save us now, right? Pretty good word for us to say right now as a people. Uh, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then we'll finish up with just one verse from Mark that wraps us up. Jesus entered Jerusalem, went to the temple courts, looked at his watch, <laughs> looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back to Bethany with the twelve. So apparently the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha was kind of Jesus' base camp um, for his final week of earth, his earthly life. And now let's do some timeless truths. And the reason they're timeless is because they were true then and they're true today, all right? They're true then and they're true today. Timeless truth number one, Jesus is more worthy than possessions. And again, uh, Mary took about a pint of pure and art, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It was worth a year's wages. Why would Mary do that? Because... Mary knew who Jesus was. You know, Mary knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah, her Savior, right? And, and let, let me just say this, that if Jesus, like some people said it was a waste, right? 
and, and Judas gets a bad rap in the scripture I read, but from other gospels, we know everybody else chimed in and said, why this waste? And, and listen, if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, then what Mary did was a waste, right? But if Jesus is who he said he is, if Jesus is the son of God, and if Mary was somehow able to gather up all the wealth in the world and pour that out on the feet of Jesus, it would not have been a waste. So Mary, Mary knew who... She, she knew who Jesus was, and she also knew what Jesus was doing, that he was going to Jerusalem to die, and, and Mary knew that Jesus was dying for her, and so Mary wanted to do something for Jesus, so Mary took the most expensive thing she had, you know, an alabaster jar, a thick jar, right, so it wouldn't leak out, uh, of expensive perfume worth one year's wages. Think about that. How much do you make in a year? And, and, and she took that perfume, and she poured it on the feet of Jesus, right? Dirty feet, right? Stinky feet, right? No foot odor back then. I mean, yeah, he's God, but he had feet, right? And, and they were real feet. And, and she poured it on his feet. And then Mary took her hair, which Paul said in Corinthians is a woman's crown in glory. She didn't take a towel. She took her own hair, and she knelt down, and she began to dry Jesus' feet with her hair. You see, to Mary, no, no sacrifice was too costly, no service was too demeaning because she knew who Jesus was. And therefore, Mary knew that Jesus was worth everything, that Jesus was more worthy than anything, anyone or anything. You know, and, and, and be honest, this makes me wonder do I get it? Do you get it? Do we get it? Do we get the absolute worth of Jesus our King? I got a picture right here. Tell me, uh, Virginia people know what this is, right? And that, that's uh, Tony Bennett, coach of the UVA basketball team, and he seems pretty excited. Not just about, that's just not any net, right? That's the net he cut down after. UVA waited 119 years to win a championship. And they're still the champions, right? The league's over, so they get to hold it for two years without ever uh, playing a game, another game in a championship. But, but here's something he said right after, in an interview right after that victory. He, he said, I have great things in my life. My love for my wife, my love for coaching, my love for basketball. Those are wonderful things. But when you line them up in comparison to Christ, and the relationship you have with him and what he's done for you and, what, and with what he's given you, they don't compare. That's the greatest truth I know. And, and, and I just wonder, right? This is where gut check, only you know the answer. Maybe you don't even want to know the answer. You know, but is there anything that you would be unwilling to pour out or to give up or to give away for Jesus. And we could be in that time right now. Early church, right? You know, in early church, we went through some hard times. You know what some, some folks did? Some people did. They actually sold some of the stuff. Not garage sale stuff, right? You know, not the stuff you would just drive down to Goodwill and dump because you, you don't want to go to the, the dump to get rid of it, right? Well, let's take it to Goodwill because I don't want to deal with it, right? No, I'm talking they sold stuff that was valuable to them and they brought that to the feet of the apostles because there were people in the church who had needs. What if that happens today? 
uh, church. Uh, what if some people in our church family, in the Christian community at large, have a need? You know, do you have some stuff that you're saying, you know what, I'm willing to sell that, that beach house. Woo. I'm willing to sell that extra car. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to cash in some of my stuff so that I can help someone in need, right? You know, um, that's where it gets real, right? That's where it gets real. So, ah, that would kind of be a waste. Well, and here's the thing I, I do want to say, too, that nothing you ever pour out for Jesus is a waste. And sometimes we can feel that way, right? But if you're pouring out your heart for Jesus, right, and, and only one person shows up to your Bible study, if you did it for Jesus, it's not a waste, Right? If you prepare for a class and maybe no one shows up. If I'm just speaking to a camera and there's no one out there listening, right? You know, it's not a waste, right? If I did it for Jesus, if I'm doing it for me, it doesn't matter if there's a thousand people out there, right? It's a total waste of time, okay? Jesus is more valuable um, than possessions and he's more appealing than religion. The next day, the great crowd, and and, and this kind of blows my mind that, you know, Jerusalem swelled to about a million people. During the Passover. There's, if you lived outside of Jerusalem, there were three feasts you had to come back home for. Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, all right? A million people, all right? You know, talk about people, hey, you can park your camel in my yard for, for 30 bucks, right? <laughs> you know? uh, okay, uh, the next day, a great crowd. The word great, actually, is the word mega. Uh, that had come from the festival, heard that Jesus was on his way. The festival would be the Passover, and they took palm branches and went out to meet him. So this crowd is there to celebrate the Passover. It, it, by the way, it's not an accident that Jesus was crucified during the Passover, right? Because Passover celebrates when God delivered his people for 400 years of Egyptian bondage, right? 400 years of slavery, right? And it took the Passover lamb, his death and the blood on the doorpost, Right? It's an exodus. You can check it out this week. And God's, God's death angel passed over them. And so God said, I want you to celebrate this every year, right? And they've been doing it since for about 1,400 years, right? And, and so these were religious people, right, that had showed up. But these religious people wanted something more than their religion was giving them. You see, it really wasn't working for them that well. Um, especially since the Pharisees and all other religious leaders had so corrupted the system, right? Where, where, where they, they made rules. They had their own rules, right? That, that, that uh, were a burden that people couldn't carry. They even turned the temple. We'll find the next day when Jesus comes back, he, he actually overturns the temple for the second time, he began his ministry tossing tables. He ended his ministry tossing tables, right? Uh, because they turned the temple into a way to make money, right? Well, if you want to sacrifice a lamb, well, that lamb's not good enough. But do I just have just a car? I mean, rather, lamb for you, right? You know, uh, one owner, right? <laughs> you know, never been driven, you know, more than five miles at a time, kept in the garage, right? And you have to give your money to buy that lamb at an exorbitant rate. So they're looking for something more. And that's why they took palm branches and ran out to meet Jesus. And when you think about it, it's kind of interesting that many of these people had traveled for days, maybe hundreds of miles, just to get to Jerusalem, right? Just to get there, 
to be with Jesus. I mean, Jesus to get there to celebrate the Passover. Yet, as soon as they arrive, right, as soon as they check in their hotel, right, you know, uh, put their feet on, see what's on the cable, right? As soon as they do that, they, they, they hear that Jesus is coming, and they just traveled all that way. And what do they do? They immediately, they run out. They run out to see Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is more appealing than religion. You see, Jesus was a breath of fresh air into the religious environment of that day. And guess what? He's still a breath of fresh air in religious environments today. See, there's a big difference between religion and Jesus. Just a few comparisons as we, as we move, move through this. Um, religion emphasizes the outward. Jesus emphasizes the inward, right? Religion is all about making sure the outside of the cup looks good. You know, let me dress right. Let me look right. But inside, I, I, I can be nasty and, and full of dead man's bones, right? I can be corrupt and all that. The Pharisees, Jesus said, hey, you guys clean the outside of the cup, but inside, it's all nasty. I wouldn't drink anything out of that, right? See, Jesus cares about what's inside. He cares about the heart. And listen, it's always been about the heart, right? You know, matter of fact, you, you remember back when, when, when David was called, when David was known to be the prophet, right? Samuel said, when, when, when no one picked David, right? His dad didn't think it was good enough. And, and, and God told his, his prophet Samuel, he says, hey, man looks at the outward appearance, Oh, he looks good. She sure is pretty. He dresses nice. They live in a nice house. Wow, they must be awesome. And he says, but God looks at the, God looks at the heart, right? It's the heart that counts. And that's why Proverbs 4.23, my license tag is PR 4.23. Someone already had the PRV, so I had to stand for PR. Uh, and Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For it's a wellspring of life. Next, religion, another comparison. Focus on what you can't do. Jesus is about what you can do. See, religion is a bunch of thou shall nots, right? And the truth is, here's the truth, you know, the sad truth is that too often the church and too often Jesus followers are known for what they're against than rather what they're for. Even known for the people they're against. Like, how can we be against people? We can be against behaviors, right? But they be against people? Understand, we are for love. We are for compassion. We are for mercy. Uh, we are for helping other people out. Uh, we are fill, for building strong families. We are for the kind of, of truth that sets people free. And, and listen, a, a great time, right, to, to, to do things is during this time of crisis. You know, hopefully you'll... Buy some canned goods, a drop-off here, knowing that some families will eat those. Maybe there's a neighbor that needs help, right? In times of crisis, the church shows up. Uh, religion puts up barriers. Jesus pulls down barriers. Yeah, religion's good at putting up barriers, right? It's that us and them mentality. Hey, we're on this side, they're on, oh, those people, right? A, a matter of fact, the temple itself, when you looked at it, the complex, it was just one barrier after another. You, you, what you had, you had the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was with a, with a thick curtain. Then you, had the, then you had the holy place where the priest came and offered incense. And then outside of that, you had the court of priests. And outside of that, you had the court of Israel's men. Outside of that, you had the court of uh, Israelite women. And outside of that, you had the court of Gentiles. Just one barrier after another, after another. But you know what happened to that curtain when Jesus died? It ripped, and it ripped from how? 
from top to bottom, letting people know that the barrier has been removed. And so if you think there's a barrier between you and God, maybe because of your past things you've done, that's just a lie. Jesus removed all barriers. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ Jesus, you are all, and the Greek word for all means, that's right, all, you got it. Uh, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized in the Christ Jesus, have clothed yourself with Christ. Talk about a garment. Then he goes through this. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ. All the labels that we stick on people, right? All the labels that people stick on us, there are no labels in Christianity. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Our religion says, work your way to God. Jesus says, I am the way to God. See, religion is performance-based. You know, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off the urn I go, right? That's, that's, and here's a little, you need to Google this, have some fun with it today, take a quiz. You know, the, the Mandela effect, it's called. Um, and, and so, let me ask you, is, when the dwarf sang, was their song, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off the work, I go. I mean, most people think that. I, I thought that. I sang that. And, and many people believe that. Guess what? It's not true. They sang, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Right? That's what they actually sang. And this Mandela effect, you see all these different things that you thought were one way that really weren't that way. And no one looking, no look on your phones right now. You can do that after church is over. Put that phone down. Right? And that makes more sense to me, right? I'm thinking, oh, these guys love to work. No, they love to go home after work, right? But listen, religion is performance-based. Grace, Jesus is grace-based. And, and I love this statement right here. And, and what we call, when I put a statement up here, you know what these are called? Someone told me, I didn't know they had a name. I had a friend tell me, they're, these are called power slides, right? <laughs> Every sermon needs to have a few power slides. This is a power slide right here. The gospel is not about human achievement. It's about divine accomplishment, right? So see, the, the gospel does not look at you and say, do. The gospel looks at you and says, already done in Christ Jesus. Timeless truth number three is scripture is more reliable than opinions. Opinions. Oh my goodness. Do we live in a world of opinions or not? I, I think they're all, always out there. But there wasn't the avenue to express them like there are today. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants you to know their opinion. And everybody thinks you should care about their opinion, right? I mean, you see it on Facebook. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Instagram. If you log on any news media outlet, you know, you know and you, you read the comment section. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes it makes me feel good about humanity. Sometimes it terrifies me and makes me glad I have a stay-at-home order because there's some crazy people out there, right? But everybody has an opinion today. And listen, during the time of Jesus, there were a lot of opinions about Jesus and who he was. Some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, some say John the Baptist. And when the Jewish leaders, they thought that Jesus was, well, he, he was competition. And, and at best and at, at worst, they thought he was demon-possessed. Were any of those people right about who Jesus was? No. The closest was that he was a prophet, but we know that he was 
much more than a, a prophet. Now, now, there, now, now there are two times in the, in the Gospels where the Holy Spirit inspired the writers to record Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. And both of these prophecies make it clear who Jesus is. And, 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 and you can check this out. You know, and because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, if you don't know what those are, they were found in like 1945 in, in, in Qumran in the desert. A, a little kid tossed a rock in a cave, heard a jar break, and boom, here's these scrolls. And among other writings were writings of the Old Testament uh, before they were discovered. Check this out. The, the oldest manuscript we have, the Old Testament, was about 900 A.D., right? And, 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 and so that was not that impressive when you talked about a prophecy Jesus fulfilling. That'd be like me saying, y'all, I got me a prophecy on February the 2nd, hold on, 2020, the Kansas City Chiefs, will defeat the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 54. No one would be impressed by that, right? Because this happened after the fact. Well, see, the Dead Sea Scrolls moved us back. Your microphone just dropped out. You can give it a good battery. So you're going to do some mining on there? Wow. It's all right. It's How long, long I've been dead? Not long. They can still hear you, so remember, you're still talking. They can, can hear you through Can here. you still hear me? Yes, they can. Wave if you can hear me. Okay. All right. Keep on talking, baby. Keep on singing. Anyhow, anyhow, back to the back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, so what they did, we had 900 AD. Now we have manuscripts that date to 100 BC, right? Talking about Jesus. Actually, there's about 75 to 100 prophecies, and any this is free. Um, any aid coming true in any individual will be the, the same odds of filling the state of Texas with silver dollars up to two feet and you picking up the one mark coin. All right. And so here's the first prophecy from John 12, verse 14. Uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. This is Zechariah. Say to Zion, say to the daughter Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and hiding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And as I already mentioned, the crowd that was shouting was shouting from Psalm 118. Hosanna to the son of David. Save us now to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of, name of the Lord. Save us now in the highest heaven. And, and here's the deal. What scripture says about Jesus is more reliable than what people say about Jesus. What scripture says about Jesus is more reliable than what people say about Jesus. Get it? Good. Because scripture is more reliable than opinion. I always like what Peter says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Yes, scripture is more reliable than opinions. And, and you know, there are a lot of opinions in our world right now about the, our current situation with this pandemic and, and, and how things will turn out in the end, right? A lot of opinions. But let, let me tell you some facts I know from Scripture that these, these aren't opinions about our current situation. I know that what Paul says in Romans 8.18 is true. I consider that our present suffering sufferings are not worth comparing 
with the glory that will be revealed in us, right? That's a fact. And here's something else that I know. It's not an opinion. A lot of opinions out there. But this is, this is something I know. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And here's something else I know. It's fact, not opinion. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. You know, I, I can know right, you can know right now, right, how this ends. You know how it ends? God's going to work it out for good. You know how it ends? That, that your future glory, when you look back at this, you're going to say, ain't nothing but a thing. Yeah, it, it seems tough now, but when you get there, you say, it wasn't really that bad compared to the glory that I now have. And you know what's the fact? Jesus says, you know what, you can take heart. Man, don't lose heart because I've overcome this world, right? And one day I'm bringing about a better world. Um, the next time with truth is following is more important than observing. Again, thousands of people. And in that crowd, you had all kinds of people, right? You had Roman soldiers. You had Pharisees, religious leaders. You had the curious. You had the zealots gripping the swords waiting for a fight, right? You had eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Thousands and thousands of observers, but really... When you come down to it, there was only a handful of followers, right? You had the 11 guys and some very faithful ladies who were following after Jesus. And no, their following wasn't always perfect, but follow after him, they did. And listen, it's good to be an observer, but your observation must eventually lead to participation. It must eventually lead to you leaving the cheering crowds, walking between the chalk lines onto the field of play. And, and listen, there are blessings that come with following. There are blessings that come with doing what Jesus said to do and doing as Jesus did and as he calls us. John 13, 17, upper room, he washed her feet and he said this. I, I don't know how many times I've used this verse, John 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, we know a lot, right? We know a lot. Don't we? We know we should treat each other right. We know we should forgive each other, right? We know we should love and pray for enemies. We know we should help those who are hurting, right? You know, we know these things, right? We know we should use our tongue to build others up and not to tear others down. Now that you know these things, right? You've observed these things from the distance, right? Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you do that. You know, if you stop observing yeah, well, why don't you try participating in forgiveness and see, whoa, this really is a lot better than this observing it. Now, here, here's the final timeless truth, and we're about done, so you have plenty of time to get that second cup of coffee. Just hang, hang on. Um, surrendering is beyond, and I couldn't find a better way to word this. You know, I was first I had surrendering is more advantageous, and, I, and then I went to the, the, the thorius, Right? That thing where you find all the words, you know, that starts with a T. And, and, and all, the, all the synonyms, all the cinnamons, uh, cinnamon rolls, they were good, weren't they, at the ball? Goodness. Okay. Like, like what are some other words? And, and I couldn't find a good enough word. And then I said, well, I'll put beyond, but even then it's not good enough. I, I couldn't find a good enough word. But surrendering is beyond more advantageous than rejecting him. And, and, and there's this scene in, in, that Luke paints in, in his um, what he recorded for the triumphal entry, Luke 19. And, and I kind of think that the other guys didn't notice 
And that's why the Holy Spirit had to tell Luke, hey, this happened on the way, because I don't think they noticed. They were too caught up in the celebration to notice Jesus. <laughs> that happens sometimes, that you forget who you're celebrating. And they were celebrating, and this happened as they approached Jerusalem. As, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And that word weep is not, oh, he shed a little tear. Uh, the word suggests, you know, sobbing and heaving, your whole body shaking. Like, like, I don't know if you've ever lost a loved one, right? And you are just crying uncontrollably. Maybe you fall to the ground, right? Tears are flowing, right? You know, and it's just, you're just devastated, right? That's what the word means. And there are thousands are celebrating. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Seriously, Jesus, what a buzzkill, right? Like, we were having this party and celebration. Now you're, you're bringing us down, Jesus, right? But Jesus was just speaking truth. You see, see what Jesus knew, he knew what was, as he looked at Jerusalem, right? He sees that city, he sees the temple, and he, he knows. He knows that in just a few decades, in 70 AD, uh, the Roman emperor Titus would come in and level the city, destroy it. He would lay siege to that city, and there will be death and famine and disease. And so as he sees that city and he, and he, he knows what they're going to go through, he doesn't hear the party anymore and the shouting there. He, he hears the cries of people and suffering. He, he sees the suffering. He, he smells the smoke. He smells the death. You see, Jesus came to his own and his own did not accept it. They crucified him and in crucifying him, they incurred the Father's wrath. See, Jesus wept for those who would reject his gift of salvation. He wept for those who reject their king. He, he, he wept for those who would refuse the peace that he came to bring. You know, there's only two times in scriptures, or two times in the gospel, where we read Jesus weeping. One is everybody's favorite memory verse, right? You know, right? John eleven thirty five. 35. Right? Yes, yeah, so much people, hey, you got a scripture memorized? Yeah, Jesus wept. But then ask them the address. They may not know the address, so it doesn't count. The address is 1135, and Jesus is weeping outside of the tomb. Why is he weeping? Because that's not how things are supposed to be. There's not supposed to be death, disease, separation, loss, and sorrow. So he weeps. And in your life, when things aren't as they're supposed to be, when there's disease or death or loss or sorrow and hardship, guess what? He weeps. That's not how God intended. And the suffering our world is going on and people are doing right now, that's, Jesus weeps over that. You know? Because that's not the earth he intended, but let me tell you, one day he's going to renew this earth and make all things new. And the other time we see him weeping is right here. And again, again, he's weeping for those who would reject him, who wouldn't accept him, who people that he died for and said, I want to set you free. People who died for and said, I'm the answer you're looking for. People who died for and said, I'm the one who can set you free 
from those chains, from that oppression, from that sin, from that bondage, from that hopelessness, from that desperation, from that depression, from that discouragement. And yet they wouldn't respond. You know, I, I think Palm Sunday is a great day to join the parade and celebrate. Celebrate the fact that Jesus is more worthy than any possession, than anything. To celebrate the fact that religion, that Jesus is more appealing than religion, that it's not about, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. Celebrate the fact that you can have a relationship with God. If that doesn't blow you away, I don't know what to tell you. It should, because you're messed up. Yeah, you, and the one next to you too, right? You're messed up. You got issues. We all got issues. Yet God wants a relationship with you, right? We should celebrate that. And celebrate the fact that we have something reliable that we don't have to depend on and stand on and be tossed back and forth by the opinions of people, right? We know how the story ends. Regardless of what Fox News or CNN, anybody, we know how the story ends. In the end, God wins. In the end, God wins. And in the end, God restores all things. And so based on those, right, those timeless truths, I would just encourage you, you know, to maybe stop observing so much, maybe begin to follow. And maybe if you have rejected Jesus, and you know if you have, right? If one thing this time, here's the deal, I'm going to tell you something you may not know. Whether you have the coronavirus or not, I'm going to tell you something you may not know. You're dying. You're dying. The death rate is 100%. Everybody that's ever lived has died. You're dying, right? You're dying. And Jesus came to give you life. He's came, he came to give you life beyond this life, and now is a great time for you to think about where you are with Jesus. Right? If you never surrendered to him, I, I just encourage you. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna, you know, um, I'm gonna type in my email and my phone number, you know, in the live feed in just a minute. You know, shoot me an email. You know, give me a call if you're not sure. Maybe someone in your room, right, right there with you. Maybe they've been praying for you and for a long time that you would surrender your life to Jesus. You know, you can do that today. Uh, do you have a bathtub in your house? You probably do. You can fill that bathtub up today, right? And, and you, can, you, can, you, can be, you can be baptized in the bathtub in your home or in the, in the family's home that you're with right now. You don't have to wait. You can do it today. But if you have any questions, you can give me a call and we can talk about it. I, I just want to read a, a passage of Scripture. And I still exist, by the way. I just moved out of the camera view. Kind of the thing that Jesus did at one time when they want to make him king. But it's in, uh, it's in Revelation chapter 7. Let me find it here. I love technology. I thought I saved it. And maybe I did, but it's gone. This gives you time to look for it too. Well, Revelation chapter 7. Here we go. Okay, I found it. Revelation chapter 7. You know, I don't know about you, I thought it would be really cool to be in the first Palm Sunday. Rocking a, rocking a palm branch. 
But if I had the choice between the first Palm Sunday or the last Palm Sunday, I choose the last Palm Sunday. Check this out in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the throne, the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped God. They sang, Amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward uh, to that last Palm Sunday, waving that palm branch. And I hope you're looking forward to it as well. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. Jesus, I pray that each of us will realize that you're more worthy than any possession. You're even more worthy than any person in our life. You're more worthy than any dream or goal that we have. Jesus, help us to know, God, that uh, you're not about religion. You're about relationship. That you don't put up barriers, that you tear those barriers down. And God, help us to know, God, that we don't have to stand and on shaky ground of opinions, but we can stay on the rock-solid foundation of the truth of your word and help us to celebrate because every promise that you said is true and your opinions are what count and we know God that we can take heart because you've overcome this world God just be with everyone right now and I just pray as we get ready to sing as we you know we sing the song Hosanna save us now and God whatever situation we find us in maybe we're depressed or discouraged or fearful or uncertain right now. Hosanna. Save us now from our discouragement. Save us now from our fear. Save us now from our despair. Save us now from uncertainty. Save us now from the troubles we're facing. Save us now from the loneliness. In Jesus' name. Amen.